be simply me, no matter what, nothing else matters. The podcast for personal inspiration, being you again and way much more, simply you, no matter what, nothing else matters. Aaron Solly, founder of Engage Coaching Group and Amazon best-selling author of the book, Engage, Connect, Grow. Our mission is to enrich and support 1 million family-focused sales professionals to be able to master thriving in all aspects of their life. The end result is they can take their career and relationships to the next level, make a bigger impact in their organization, their community and the world as a whole. Aaron spent the majority of his career in sales positions within the financial services industry. His intention was to make a positive impact on the financial welfare of others. After a number of years, he found himself not fulfilled in his career. He struggled with anxiety and depression and wasn't sure why. At 37 years old, he came to a defining moment where he knew he needed to make a change. Hello from Austria for another uh, episode in my podcast, Be Simply Me, today from Aaron Soli. Hello from Austria. Hello from Canada. Yes, thank yes. you so much for having me. You have a very exciting time in Canada at the moment. Yes, yes, we've had, uh, what specifically are you, have you heard? Uh, there's all kinds from, of different things going on. Yes, from the politics and with all the trucks yes. and all the things. And we are like, ah! <laughs> so we, we, we are truly, Austria is truly with you. Yes, and it's so all... it's so interesting because it, I I believe that Canada and Austria are similar, mm. and uh, in different systems, and we met many many years ago where I was allowed to be a guest at your podcast, and today I'm allowed to have you uh, on my podcast, and let's begin your story. Where do we want to begin? Yeah, where do we want to begin? Well, I. I guess I'll start where I, I grew up in a very, you know, very supportive family and, um, and, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of struggle. Like parents are very supportive, but I, for whatever reason I became, um, I guess as I, as I got around 10, 11 years old, I became very shy, very introverted, very self-conscious where before that I was very outgoing. I loved to, um, sing and do performances and, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a, a boy who liked to perform and uh, be on stage kind of <laughs> in some ways. And then it kind of shifted in, uh, I guess it was around grade seven, where I guess as you start to hit puberty and you start to, uh, you know, hormones are changing and you start to become more aware of what other people are saying or doing or, or so very self-conscious that, that I became, you know, very closed down and uh, and was not as outgoing and and uh, I, I was you know kind of just shy and uh it, it took me you know I started a lot in high school around that and, but was uh, it a certain uh, that something happened there a certain event that it's changed it, that much you know what I think that uh you know part of it was just getting older but I also uh, you know in grade four I um grade four I almost failed uh and and, and when I look back that that was the year my grandfather passed away okay and uh, my grandfather was was really um, was really a, a key father figure for me uh, as a as a young boy, because um, after I was born, 
relatively soon after I was born, my, uh, my mom and my birth dad um, separated. Mm. And so we, um, we were living in um, New Westminster, which is close to Vancouver, BC, Canada. And within a short period of time, my mom and I moved up north to be, uh, live with my grandparents. And so for the first few years of my life, uh, we were living at my, my grandparents' house. So I got to know my grandpa very well. So I became very close to him. And, uh, you know, he was in the radio industry. So he would share with me all kinds of, uh, you know, little things he learned, uh, you know, from the industry. And just listening to him on the radio was exciting. And then we would pretend that we were on the radio and record ourselves on the old cassette tapes and that. And, you know, so it was really fond memories of, uh, of him. You know, he, uh, some popular TV shows when I was a kid were uh, like Dukes of Hazard and Knight Rider, uh, you know, David Hasselhoff and Knight Rider. And he would yes. watch those with me, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I so he would remember. watch those with but me. But it and, was brilliant series, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in these <laughs> days, cars are starting to talk to us. And yes. Kind of neat for it. But yeah, so it, yeah, he would just do these, you know, really fun things with me. And, uh, and so when, when he passed, it was, it was tough when he passed because uh, I had this relationship with him that my other siblings didn't and my other cousins didn't. And so I, I was grieving, you know, when I look back, I was grieving a lot. Uh, you know, I was crying myself to sleep at night and not no sure, not sure why. And then it was decided that the kids um, I guess I guess I was about 10 years old at the time. So the, it was just decided that the kids should just stay home and not go to the funeral, which, you know, at that time, it just, it was just normal that, uh, you know, that may happen. And, but that was, I think looking back, that was tough because I didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was very confusing and we didn't want to upset my grandma. So there was no very little talk about it. And he passed away when I, when it was Christmas time, just after Christmas. So, future Christmases after that for quite a while, we couldn't talk about um, grandpa at all. And so it was hard for me because I, I, I loved him so much and I wanted to be able to, to talk about, you know, what I was going through and, and, and even just talk about memories about him. Right. It was like he had all of a sudden we'd just been cut off from, from talking about him. So, so that may have also impacted, um, you know, you know, how I viewed the world, I think, because I was, you know, viewing things just from this, you know, amazing viewpoint and just lots of fun and, and, you know, engagement and connection. And then, and then losing that really, uh, you know, was, was, was a struggle for me for sure. It, it reminds me uh, because I also do uh, male coaching because it's just important, important. Do you think that today men missing uh, male role, role models or, or also teenagers like you with 11 years. Do you think that, that the male role models are missing? Because, I mean, Knight Rider was pretty sure a role model back then, maybe, at least in our country. Yeah. But are there any male role models out there? Yeah, boys? you know, I think there is some. There definitely is some. I think that uh, that it's good to have, like, you know, sports and um, different celebrities mm-hmm. and that can be role mm-hmm. models and authors and you know, you know, YouTubers and TEDx uh, speakers and that can definitely be, be role models. I think that um, it's important to have a real role model as well, like ones that are that you're actually able to connect with and they know who you are and you're able to talk to and communicate with. Uh, so I think that that can really help uh, men. And and the thing is, even, even though my grandfather was my, 
you know, f- father figure as a kid, like my mom remarried and my, my dad, uh, Roger, who's, I always have called him my dad, uh, all my life. Like he was a very supportive and, and caring father. And, and so he, you know, he became a father figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other teachers in my, you know, throughout my, my schooling, you know, came a quasi father figure. So there's all different people that we, um, for men anyway, there can be male figures that, that come into our lives when we play sports, you know, at school, um, at work that, that can kind of end up being that, that mentor and have those qualities that are, are good relationships to maintain. Because I didn't have a, even like, I didn't have a, a close relationship with my birth dad. Um, and, and that also, I think was, was, uh, was a factor in um, just my self-confidence and, and, and understanding who I was, because there's just always this question about, you know, there's this other, other person uh, in my life. I saw him when I was around uh, 11 uh, years old that I remember. That was one of the times I remember when I was, apparently I saw him when I was, was younger, but I don't, I don't remember those times. Uh, and that moment was pretty exciting because I had, uh, I hadn't seen him and he had come actually, that was actually also during Christmas time and had a really neat conversation with him. He gave me this amazing gift for a, a young, uh, a young boy. It was a, a handheld Pac-Man game. So, it, you know, I was, you know, very, very excited and happy and thought that, you know, this is amazing. And I thought that the connection would, you know, and then the relationship with him would continue that we I'd see him again. And we talked about that. And then, and then I never saw him again uh, until he showed up in my life uh, and contacted me actually through a website that I created. He found me online and just sent me an email and said, are you so-and-so's son? Uh, and that was in my mid thirties. And, and, and I, had not, I had not heard from him in between there. He knew mm-hmm. the phone number that were, my parents never moved. He knew the phone number, knew the address. And um, my, um, Roger, who I call my dad, he technically adopted me. And so my birth dad, I guess, believed that at some point I would go to the adoption agency and ask to connect with him. But I never actually connected those dots. I never understood that that was a possibility for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I never even considered that. Um, but yeah, so he, he touched base with me later on. And, uh, and then that became you know, a bit stressful and, and, and confusing time for me. Because uh, here's this father figure that I don't really have, like he's actually my my father, but he's a stranger, right? Mm-hmm. And so men may relate to that, and that they may have, maybe they don't have a connection with their birth dad, right? And um, and but but remembering that there is other men in their life that that um, that can be there for them and support them, and 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 maybe that you know reconnecting with a, a birth a parent can actually. Mm-hmm help with um with the relationship moving forward yeah it's so interesting because um i never experienced any adoption so this is for me a totally new world is there anything what you can give to our audience when they experience like what you experience what's so important about the field of adoption is it because i hear it so many times that it's truly important to meet your birth father or your birth parents it always depends on which side. Is there any tips you can give to people who, who have experienced the same or similar what you experienced? Yeah, I think, I think for me it feels different because, um, because it's not like I didn't, have, I didn't have parents and then I was adopted um, with new parents. Like I had, I was, my mom was always part of my life, right? So I think my scenario is a little bit 
situation is a bit different for some people. And so, you know, I know people that have completely have no relationship with their birth parents mm -hmm. and then are adopted by a family. There's definitely some work um, that counseling or coaching or, uh, you know, mental health work can help around that in, in coming down to the core of, of the, the, you know, connecting with the meaning behind the adoption and, and coming to a place of, of recognizing that there's gifts in it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as much as it, there's a, a loss there of having the connection with from birth parents that what are the gifts and what, you know, what, how can you be solid in yourself and knowing that you're, you know, you're here for a reason, you have a lot to bring to the world, even though you may not have that, um, that connection. And, that, and that's not necessarily an immediate snap of the fingers and you're able to feel that way and believe that it takes work to be able to get to there. Um, but for my, for myself, I think I just, uh, I, I, it took me a while to really understand my feelings around everything. And, and so I think that's a really important aspect is the more that you can, can connect to your feelings and the real feelings that are going on. So anger is a surface emotion. So if you're angry, mm -hmm you know, it's, it, it, it's good to journal about that and get it out or, uh, or, you know, go for a walk or, you know, even there's these boxing uh, exercise classes you could do now, like get the anger out and then recognize what's underneath it. Because when I started to, you know, in my, my um, late thirties, when I really started to work on things, cause I um, ultimately had uh, been depressed to the point where it resulted in a breakdown of my first marriage uh, that's where it was a bit of a wake-up call that I need um, I need to work on this and and the people that I ended up connecting with a big part of what they did is they had me work on my anger because one of the therapists I was seeing at the time said do, do you know what anger what depression is Aaron and I said well it's this low feeling you feel like you have this you're blue all the time and you've got this cloud over your head and they said well you know what depression one one way to look at depression is is it's anger turn inward and it's, you know, the holding on to anger and these, these really, you know, you know, difficult feelings and not releasing them. And it just ends up, uh, you know, making us stuck and, and, and bringing us down because we're, we're just holding on to it so tightly that we're not getting it out. Uh, and so I was educated around how to, how to release anger because anger and passion, same types of, of energy, same types of, um, of feeling, uh, very similar, right? Just like, uh, feeling nervous and excited, very similar feelings, the way that you feel, right? So being able to uh, recognize that, okay, I've got this anger in me, how can I safely release it? So I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be physical against anybody. I'm not going to, um, you know, start yelling at people, but I'm going to uh, figure out how to, how to release that anger and get underneath it. Because usually underneath anger is sadness, shame, guilt, um, you know, and, and, and that's what really needs to get worked on is what's underneath the anger. And, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sadness that I had held on to from my grandfather's loss that um, then started to come out because I, I, I got, I released the anger and, and moved through it. And then the sadness was there that, I, you know, they're grieving that I hadn't done in, in so many years. Mm. Is it, is it, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm, thank you very much for opening up at my podcast because men and talking about emotion and feelings is, is very rare. Um, and yet so, so necessary because you mentioned behind the anger and the other emotions, we're actually at the grief 
losing your grandfather. What was 20 years ago? Didn't it? Is there yeah, any yeah. is there any possibility in in Canada for men to 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 really open up and talk about the feelings? Oh, definitely. That's what I, you know, back in the '90s when I was first feeling anxious and depressed, it was never diagnosed, and I um, I find I actually got help and went and saw a psychologist when I was in university because I uh, was just very anxious and 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 it was a secret. I never told anybody. Uh, uh, this psychologist saw me, I think, for one or two individual sessions, and then he suggested I come to a group session, mm-hmm. which actually I don't, you know, in reflection, uh, that actually made me more anxious. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I, I wish I would have in some ways said, actually, I'm not, I'm not ready for group. I, I'd rather just do one-on-one. Like, you have to be ready to be in a group environment. Yes. And I, I was just oh. dealing with it the first time. Uh, and, and the group, once I got into the group, it was very beneficial. It was good, but... Um, it was interesting that I was asked to, to go into group sessions quite quickly. Um, but that, uh, that was a secret. I would every, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday at 11 o'clock. I had roommates when I was in university, I would go, I wasn't in classes. I was at this, um, at the mental health uh, hospital in Kamloops where I was going to school and I didn't tell my family. I didn't, uh, I think uh, maybe only the, uh-huh. my girlfriend at the time knew I was going mm-hmm. and uh, and so it took me like, like back then it, you didn't talk about it. Right. Which, which I, what I love today is that there is lots of resources out there for, and, and for specifically for men, uh, there's, there's counseling practices in Vancouver here that are actually focused solely mm-hmm. on men. There's, um, lots of different communities, uh, that allow men to come together and, uh, and it's, and it's not, a, it's not a business type of a networking event. It's more of a, a building community and personal growth and having real conversations, which I think is really important is not to just, uh, you know, it's great to go out and, and uh, go play, you know, soccer or hockey or, um, or f- football or basketball together. Uh, but what, what can even be even deeper is for, for men to start to have those real conversations um, and do it do it sober, not be on, you know, under the influence of alcohol or drugs, but mm-hmm. actually be able mm-hmm. to feel, truly feel what's going on, even if it feels uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that there's more resources out there. Uh, and actually right now, uh, all of my clients are men. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean I don't help women, but um, for whatever reason, men, uh, you know, are, are the ones that end up calling me or a, somebody's partner will, um, you know, if I, if I do a, a talk or a, uh, uh, or an event of, of some form where they hear me on a podcast, they may actually refer their, their, um, their, uh, their, their spouse to me. And then mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a male. Yeah. You are the founder of the Engage Coaching Group and also the Amazon bestselling author of the book Engage, Connect, and Grow. Do you believe it's out of your own story that you, created, that, the, the, that, that you yeah. created it and also wrote the book? Yeah, you know what it is, it, you know, I, um, what's, you know, what, one thing that's really fascinating to me is so I for years, like it started in university, and it actually started with uh, reflecting on what a basketball coach used to say to me, uh, and our whole team, actually, uh, when we were warming up before practice, he, you know, we'd be sitting around the center of the gym, and we'd be in a circle, and, and one of the players would lead the stretching before we got into practice, and our coach would be walking behind us, and he would just repeat the same thing over and over again. He'd say 80% of the game 
is between your ears. Yes. Right? And then he'd walk around some more and he'd say 80% of the game is between your ears. Now, I was in grade 11, grade 12 at the time, and he never explained anything other than that. He just said that, that phrase and he never sat down with us and talked about mindset and, you know, how, you know, how you come into a game, if you're nervous, how to, how to bring that energy to make you feel, uh, you know, bring that, that nervousness to be able to play well. Like there was no talk of that. It was just, he would say that. And then we would turn and we would go to then work out the plays and the running and the different exercises and, and drills and that. And so it, it took to university for me to actually understand what he was saying. Cause I was just, mm -hmm. I was believing that I needed to run faster. I needed to jump higher. I needed to shoot better. I needed to, need, needed to play better defense. And so in university, light bulb started going off and I started to realize that he was talking about mindset. He was talking about all these, the, the way that you think about things, right? And, the, and, and I had a lot of negative thoughts that were going on during, before a game because I was worried about making a mistake, right? And I was I started to get curious as to why, why am I always thinking that? Why am I always worried about making a mistake? What's really going to happen? And, and so over time, as I got, uh, you know, graduating university and got into the workforce, I started to, you know, read books like from Brian Tracy, from... Uh, Jack Canfield, Wayne Dyer, you know, all these different personal growth, uh, personal growth authors and, and audio programs and that. And, and so I started to, uh, you know, really work on myself and understand that. And, and then, and then coaching started to jump out at me as a, as a, um, a profession, I started to, to read books about becoming a coach. And, and so I got fascinated with looking at, okay, could I have a coaching franchise? Uh, you know, could I, you know, what, what would that look like? And, and then uh, when I, in my mid thirties, when my birth dad reached out and, and sent that email to me, I, I think I was, for whatever reason, it was, it was interesting because I was at home from work that day. I think maybe I was homesick or, or something. And, uh, and so I was able to look at that email during the day and, and it just kind of randomly came in my inbox. And then, so I read all this information that he sent and then I scrolled down to the bottom and he, he was a life coach. Ah. And nobody in my family uh, had any interest in all this personal growth and self-help books that I was reading and, and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, now I know, now I know where this is coming from, right? This is, this is a piece of it here that, you know, of, of why I've had this interest in these things. So I've, uh, and then when I, um, when I started the practice, I had I'd taken a counseling program and I, I'd actually started the, the counseling program. You could just do it just to, to for personal growth. Mm -hmm. And I had, um, had done, okay, I just gone through separation and, you know, dealing with depression at the time. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to do year one and see what happens. And, and then I ended up doing all three years and, and it inspired me from the work that I got to do in that program to write the book. The book is all about journal entries that I did over the, you know, my, I think even back to, yeah, even back to my university days up until my, just before I turned 40. And those journal entries uh, of how I use journaling to overcome my mental, uh, you know, my mental health challenges and, mm -hmm. and how I cope through it. And so I use journaling as a, as one, one way to help people through that. And so it really inspired me to start the practice and, um, and, and, and that the book, which really is a workbook. I just wanted a way to be able to, to help people uh, get started. And, and cause sometimes it's, it can be, it can be scary to go talk to somebody. So my book is mm -hmm. set up where people can actually just start on their own and start working on their own. And then when they're ready to get help, then there's avenues to do that. Yeah. 
It's interesting, you are the first man who is talking about journaling. I always thought it's, oh, it's, yeah. a, woman, it's a woman thing. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But it's good. Yeah. Uh, just write down um, um, your own thoughts or be grateful or something. Or then it's definitely out of, of your head. So it's really, really good. I like and you know it, what's what's fascinating about journaling is writing is I ideal because writing you're you're using um, you're using a visual part of your brain you're using the um, the kinesthetic part of your brain mm -hmm. and um, and even auditory because you're when you're writing you could actually be saying to yourself what you're writing right so it's using all aspects of your brain so it's really effective um, but you can also do like journaling could also be painting it could be um, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you could be doing some type of art, you could be dancing, uh, it, can, it can be an, an artistic expression, depending on the individual and what they, um, you know, what they gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be very therapeutic in a variety of ways. And I've just found that, um, that, that writing it out, and I've actually done workshops with a friend of mine, where we've done art, an art journaling workshop. So we've combined writing and painting uh, together to be able to bring out the artistic side. Uh, as well. It's very interesting. I hear, um, when I listen to your story, I hear so many defined moments, so many, I call it aha moments. What was the most, or the, the most important aha moment in your living? I think, uh, you know, I, when I look back when I was 37, I was in, I was in the basement of this townhouse that uh, my, um, my first wife and I owned. And I was down there by myself. It was, it was, this was a dark room that had, I don't even think it had any windows. Uh, and we had moved into this place probably three to four months beforehand. There was boxes still around in the room. I was sitting at my desk, looking at my computer, feeling really low and, you know, anxious as to, because we were just deciding that the separation was, was what was, was going to happen. And uh, I was looking I, I was searching for ways to get to help myself with, you know, cause I was, I was believing that, that there's something wrong with me that I need to get this fixed. And, you know, I've, I've been running into the same pattern time and time again, and I need to, I need to figure out why. And, and I was saying to myself, why is this happening to me? Uh, right. And, and, and in that moment, I, I decided something came over me that I decided that I needed to shift that perspective and start and stop blaming myself, stop blaming other people, stop blaming the universe or what have you that, 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 that you know, I'm just, this is always going to happen to me. And I, I started to ask myself, what is this for? And as I started to ask myself that I started to realize that really what I was looking for is what is the gifts in this? There's some gifts there. What can this bring me? And, and that really shift things for me. And I, and that's where I started to, it's interesting because I started to, to meet people um, that were either going through similar things or that they had a new way of looking at things. And that's where I met the therapist that started to, to dive down, like just to work with me on depression, being focused uh, more on the anger inside of myself. And I started to just meet a lot, a lot of interesting people when I shifted my perspective around that and see different resources that I'd never seen before. It's so beautiful. I, I, I love supporting men. And when I hear your story, it makes me smile inside. Because oh, I truly believe that globally we have uh, in men hidden depression a lot. Yeah. And and um, that's a, I only can support uh, your your engaged group and also your book 
we will give uh, the, the link of the book also to, to the podcast. Is there any, I know it sounds weird now, but any one tip you can give to men when it comes to, to similar stories, what you have? Yeah, I think, I think the um, one tip, it's hard to find into one tip, but I think the one thing is, is just to start working on it. Like if you're at a point where you're recognizing that you're struggling, um, so maybe you are, your relationship is falling apart. Uh, there's more conflict happening with your, your partner or your kids or your performance at work is, is, um, is getting to the point where your, your manager is, is questioning, uh, you know, you know, because I was in sales position. So the manager, you know, there'd be, there'd be conversations with, with my manager around, you know, we need to, you need to um, start performing or we need to have a, a serious conversation or, or maybe you've, you've lost your job and you're now like, what do I do now? I think the biggest thing is just to start to work on it. You know, what, what feels comfortable with you do what feels comfortable. So if, if working it on your own, feels comfortable and just maybe journaling or finding a book, you know, going to the self-help section at, at a bookstore and, and, and looking at books that resonate with you, um, you know, just start working on your own. Or if, if you're open to getting help, you know, share uh, and ask for help. Uh, asking for help can be, it can feel like a, a big, a big step, but mm. um, you know, whenever I've asked for help, it, it just getting to the point of asking has felt like, Oh, this is just, it's going to feel awful. And then just, just, at, you know, asking for help. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because the clients I work with actually, and even I mentioned to one client yesterday, who I was talking to, he was going through a really tough time with COVID and some of the conversations that were going on for him around it and some of the decisions that having to make. And, and then he reached out to me and it took us about a week to book time together. Uh, and when I spoke with him yesterday, he said that, uh, you know, things had actually opened up, things that actually, he was able to look at things differently and his, his perspective shift, shifted. And I said, well, isn't that interesting that you took a step and asked it for, asked for a session. And within that week period, isn't that interesting how things kind of shifted for you, right? So it can, um, it can be, you know, really beneficial just by asking and, and with no outcome, no, 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 uh, you know, no reason that you have to get someone to fix things for you or, you know, that you have to immediately get a solution, but it's just a matter of saying, I just need help. Right. Mm -hmm. um, is can be pretty powerful. Yeah. Powerful. And so sometimes so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And, and yeah, when you ask for help, you want to make sure you're, you're asking, you know, it needs to feel safe, right. It needs to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then, you know, then you, you don't have to, but it just, um, to going to somebody that's a doctor or a counselor or a coach that, that specializes in this can feel maybe safer than going to your partner or to um, a friend. But I know a lot of companies have medical benefits where you can, in, in conf, you know, confidentially, you can talk to somebody and it can just be just a 15 minute, 20 minute conversation. So at least you're able to just get off your chest what's going on and then, and then decide what makes sense for you after that. Yeah, yeah. That's the next step after that. We have that luckily in Austria too, also anonymous. And oh. I, I only can emphasize because none of us has to be alone with the challenges. Yes. That's why everybody's here. Yeah. Again, and it's, you, and it's great today. Sorry. 
one last thing I'd just say, yes. what I love about this time, this time that we're in is that people can talk about it more. Yes. And so just remembering that, 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 uh, actually talking about mental health and depression and anxiety, yes. it's the conversations are happening. So just remember that if, if you're going to ask for help, that it's not, um, it's not like a, it used to be where it was a bit of a secret or yes, you know, exactly. not as accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Way much more. And I think with COVID-19, um, it's also way much more common and it's mm -hmm. good. Again, for all listeners out there, you have your book, Engage, Connect and Grow. Highly recommended. We also would give the link uh, to the podcast so you can check it out. How can people reach you, Aaron? Yeah, so I, I have a resource, a free resource that um, uh, may be beneficial. It's, it's, it's the three keys that you must master to thrive within your personal, professional, and family life. Mm -hmm. And if they go to if they go to my website, engagecoachinggroup.com um, forward slash mastery, so M-A-S-T-E-R-Y, uh, you can download that resource and it just goes through uh, the th there's three, three simple things to focus on to help with, uh, you know, being able to thrive from within all these different aspects of your life. And I'm also, you know, engaged coaching groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And so there's, I'm, I'm putting a variety of different resources uh, up on there from, uh, from time to time. And then you know, so can access resources there too. We'll give all your links also to the podcast so that the people can find you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Aaron, that you were uh, on my podcast, Be Simply Me. I'm highly appreciated. And greetings from Austria to Canada. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for that. You simply are more than you think but feel, see, hear and know.